Greetings and salutations to our po- fine podcast audience. How's everybody doing? Hey, I'm everybody. Doing good. I'm good. Uh, we just had Labor Day. Y'all have a good Labor Day weekend? Did was, I did? It was nice. You were you were away. You I had took the off. best one, I guess. I you took went off. Somewhere. Yes. yes, I went to where there was sand and water. Okay, well, that's good. So uh, uh, a mud hole. Noonan, he went to Noonan Utility <laughs> Park. You don't know. He just turned on the. I'm not bed. telling. Okay, I'm not going to say. But yeah, it was nice. Good, had good All weather, and I'm doing good because we got the Nestle Splash back. And oh, good uh, for this you. is the lemon, which is I might be my favorite. I, I'm drinking Waterloo sparkling water. Waterloo. Wow. <laughs> and I forgot to get a drink, isn't, so here I am out of the club. Uh, you're more the history guy than I am. Uh, isn't Waterloo where Napoleon lost? He did lose there. So. But if you're French, if you're French, it's a bad thing. If you're Russian, you're like, what That's a great stuff. <laughs> yeah. I guess all about that. Maybe that's Russian grape soda. Uh-oh. Watch Uh-oh. out. Mm. Or it could be uh, – What's who's the group that sings this song? Waterloo. We're way too young for that. I don't uh, know. I've never. I think it's that Swedish group. Uh, Abba? Abba. I think. Oh. Again, you and I are way too young for I that. Yeah, I think it's them. Okay. Right. I can hear just something about Waterloo. That came out when I was being born, probably. Yeah, probably. So, Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> Close to it. Maybe I don't know. All probably. Right. All right. Before we get into the discussion uh, for today, I just want to remind everybody who watches and listens that. Uh, Here's what we do every week, in case you're new. Um, we like to answer your questions. You guys send us questions, and we answer those, biblical questions, life questions, things like that. So if you ever want to do that, uh, go to the description uh, of this video in podcast app or on YouTube, and there's a link there. You can just click that, fill out the form, and we'll, we answer pretty much every question sent to us. We will answer personal questions. We will answer them all. So, uh you got a much. question. Within reason. We within will answer them all. Yeah, within yeah. reason. So, I mean, we'll answer all the ones that we read to y'all. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> if we say it That's out loud, we're going to answer the question. If we decide to read it out yeah. loud, it's going to get an answer. Yeah. So we do that, and we also sort of take uh, and discuss the message from the previous Sunday, kind of go a little more in-depth and uh, bring out some points that maybe we didn't make on Sunday. So uh, mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do today, and Nathan is going to lead our discussion. Since you were on vacation. Yeah, well, yeah. not because I just asked him to. Oh, okay. I'd have done it either way. All right, okay, there you go. I was just lazy. That that's was all it was. Okay. That's all it was. All right. I wanted a different perspective. I like Nathan's perspective. Okay. On well, that's good. I got some good thoughts occasionally. Every now and then. Good so. thoughts. Uh, so yeah, so Sunday, uh, we were con- ending really our ending, series. Finally, bam, <laughs> Christians it up. in in an age of outrage, and uh, this was kind of even more a, a, a second part to the discussion we started last week. I mean, we started the whole discussion, uh, what, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago? It's about six weeks. And uh, this one was the second one on uh, really looking at race in uh, the way that the church has handled it, the way that um, uh, Americans, uh, Christians have handled it. And uh, this one in particular was about privilege and power, that when, we, when Christians find themselves mm. in positions of privilege and power, how should we respond? How should we handle that? What is the loving way to handle that? And so uh, to kind of be- begin our discussion on it, I know that often maybe some of the most difficult parts of these conversations, especially around issues of race and uh, the term white privilege, one of the biggest um, hurdles to overcome is making sure we're all talking about the same thing. And so to begin, I think it's important for us to talk about really what is the difference between racism and personal prejudice, 
right? Because often I think in these conversations, when we hear the term racism, we think, well, that doesn't apply to me uh, because I don't have a lot of racism. Uh, and even I think all of us would go, well, I might have prejudice against certain groups of people or certain types of people I've had interactions with, but the idea of racism, that doesn't affect me. So that's my question is, what is the difference between racism and prejudice? Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff on how people define it, and people wind up find, defining racism, I think, uh, more in terms of uh, prejudice plus power is one of the ways that I've heard mm-hmm. it, that when you, when you have a personal preference, they, then you have the power to carry out against the people that you have, you know, particularly if it's based on race, you have a prejudice based on race, and then you have the power to carry it out, that becomes an ism. But it, right. I think it has to become a bigger uh, kind of thing. I think it has. To, I think in general it has to involve more than you. Yeah. For something Systems to be for power. something to be an, an ism, it has to have some some degree of systematic kind of thing behind it. And so I think you know I think you can be personally, you can have prejudice based on race, and that makes you a racist maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but racism tends to deal more with with systems, I think. Sure. The, at least in the way it's typically defined. Now, that, I'm not saying everybody defines it that way. I'm just right. saying typically in the stuff that I have read, that's typically the way most people. Do you think it would be accurate for all of us at some point to kind of confess that there is racist in all of us? I think it's normal for almost everybody to. I ended the message by talking about asking, asking Christians again. I don't have any right to ask anybody other than the Christians at Community Christian. Mm. but to go toward the other. Mm-hmm. I think there is a natural tendency to not go toward anything that's not a lot like you, that you can figure yeah. is we tend to clump up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even if you, you know, if you make a little group of, I mean, I think we want to, we're uh, people who like to have, I mean, we're relational beings, so we wind up building relationships and we, we exclude other people who even may look like us, mm-hmm. but they're not a part of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think in particular the reason I felt like this was important to separate is um, everybody has prejudice in some way, shape, or form, right? And often when we talk about white privilege, what I hear when I have conversations and just online observing conversations and when people hear white privilege, what they hear is white people are the only ones who have any prejudice, which we all are aware of and reject immediately because everyone knows everybody sure. has some. I prefer people mm. who look like me, people who vote like me, people who whatever. And so I reject the idea that white people have a certain responsibility uh, in this idea of white privilege because I go, well, everyone's prejudiced. Why am I the, the person that has to look at this? And so often you hear people use terms like systemic or systematic racism because with, like Ed was talking about, with racism in general, there usually is a system uh, that, of power that is behind it. Often it's things we can't see mm-hmm. uh, right on the front. No one just comes out and goes, now that hasn't always been true, comes out and just says, this is because you're black and I'm white uh, on the system side. That's not always been true, but 
currently that is not the way it works, but there's a system behind it that is making those things happen. So when you, I prefer in my conversations to only use the term racism and racist when I'm talking about these kind of systems of power that do it and talk about personal prejudice with people because even if it's about race and things like that, it's, it's more important for, I believe, people with privilege and power, and this is where I thought your message got to Sunday, uh, to say, okay, what role do I play beyond my personal feelings? Like, I do need to deal with my personal feelings. Christians, we do need to deal with our personal prejudice, but the issue is bigger than my personal prejudice. Hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Yeah. So Well, and if we just talk personally, I mean, which I know – Maybe that's not what we're talking about. If I, if I, because I found a lot of people just wanted to talk about personally. A lot of reactions right. I got were, I don't mm-hmm. have this. It felt like you mm-hmm. were saying that I had this. And I don't have these kind of things. When it comes down to personally, uh, every personal prejudice that I have is an affront to the message of Jesus. Yes. And uh, even if I don't have power, and, and that goes for black, white, everyone so you know a lot of reactions where you're saying whites are the only racist i never i didn't say that but it doesn't it seems seems wrong for me to stand up as a white person and call out yeah. something in a whole group of other particularly to a church that's largely white mm-hmm. so that's the reason behind that but on a personal level every prejudice i have that i personally enforce against people and that i don't love them the way that god has loved me that prejudice is an affront to what God is doing in my life mm-hmm. and through me, mm-hmm. and it has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. It, it must be dealt with on a personal level. And then God doesn't just deal with us as people. I mean, it's pretty clear throughout the Bible that we have collective responsibilities to the groups that we're a part of. Uh, we The first week read that, if my people who are called by my name will mm-hmm. humble themselves, He's addressing to the whole nation of Israel. But God, I mean, at that time, everybody in Israel had not turned their back on God. Right. Yeah. No, they were not all. No. But God called on all of them mm-hmm. to repent and all of them to bring their nation to repentance because we individually have a responsibility to the groups which we're a part of when we see they're off track. And so... I am an individual. I have individual responsibility, but I as an individual also am collectively responsible for the groups that I'm a part of, my family, mm-hmm. my church, my race, my, you know. I, sure. Yeah, that reminds me of the phrase that we find in Scripture where Paul is speaking to the church about, um, and he uses this phrase, you have sinned against the body of Christ. And in specifically, he's talking about the way they approached their communion uh, yeah. ceremony and when they would come and, and, and do it in a way that dishonored people or they would do it in such a way where they would bring personal sin into the, into the group, unconfessed personal right. sin. And he said, when, and a lot of people think that he's talking about the literal physical body. He's not. He's talking about the church. He says, so when you do this, you personally right. sin against the body. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so now it is a collective sin, even though it started out as a personal. Yes. yes. So. Well, and I think that goes to one of the questions I had is I think one of the issues we have with white privilege is this idea that, well, I have friends of color and I personally am fair and kind in my personal dealings with people of color. I've never stopped anyone from getting a job because of their race, and Mm. I've never kept anybody in low-income housing because of their race. And therefore, that's the extent 
of what love means. Love just means my personal dealings and feelings with people, mm. and it isn't this, as we just talked about. Yeah. Love also has a corporate part of it, that when I'm in a family, right, I have responsibility not just to if I love my brother, right, and then suddenly my dad starts mistreating my brother. I don't go, well, I'm personally fine with my brother, and mm. I'm personally fine with my dad. Therefore, that's where my love ends because I personally feel the way I should feel about these people. There is a level of, as you said, corporate responsibility that when I have the privilege and the power and the ability to do something or to say something about um, a wrong or an injustice that I see, that love may require me to do something different when I'm in a position of privilege and power, then it, it that God may, in fact, have different relationships, just as parents have different relationships with their kids, that I expect different things of different people at different times, that love requires me to do different things at different times. So mm -hmm. the height of the question for Christians always is the one we've talked about many times. What does love require of me? Mm -hmm. In my yeah. position, what does love require of me? And I can't walk around personally saying, I don't have any prejudice. I think there's only one race, the human race. I've had a whole bunch of people say that to me. There's only one race, the human race. I agree with that. There is only yes. one yeah. race, the human race. But my actions betray that when <laughs> I act as if when the human race, my race is hurting, mm. and I say I love all people, but mm -hmm. I don't do anything to help people who are hurting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 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 I'm betraying the fact that I know that what I'm saying is not really true. It's the right thing to say. I believe it. Maybe I even believe it here. Mm -hmm. But it mm -hmm. doesn't affect my behavior. Mm -hmm. Whereas the truth is, and we talked about this a number of weeks ago when somebody asked us about self-defense and weapons, yeah. and we said, you know, I might have to defend myself against my son, but my first thought would never be to kill my son yeah. because right. I love them. I, would lo I love them. So when it comes to what does love require of me, if that person's my child, and I have a different reaction, and I do feel like I have responsibility toward them. Sure. I, you should, as the parent, and feel it responsibility. It doesn't go away when they get to be 40 mm -hmm. it, or whatever happens in their life. I I feel connected to them, and whatever affects them, it affects me. Mm -hmm. So when I say I'm a part of this, we're all a part of the human race, or just one family, the human family, the whole thing, my actions that I don't move toward other people that are hurting betray mm -hmm. what I say is true. Mm -hmm. Well, we were talking about this a little before, and um, we were kind of – as we discuss things to better kind of flesh out our own ideas, we, we often will just kind of use analogies and talk about it. One of the ones that we were talking about was this idea of parents who have children with special needs. They clearly understand this, that they can't just say, well, I understand my child is at a disadvantage, and so I'm personally helping them, and I feel good about my relationship with them. So whatever goes on out in the world, well, no parent does that. They go to the school, they get an IEP, or they get them in a, in a, in a class, or they go to the teacher. And most parents I know, I have children with special needs in this area, and you're going to go to the teacher, and you're going to explain, hey, I want you to know the circumstances they come from. I want you to know what's going on in, behind their life. And not to excuse anything that they may do that may be wrong. It's to go in and to help them understand, hey, there are disadvantages they face. And you as the teacher, because I've also been on the, not teacher in a school system, but teacher from a church perspective, when a parent comes and says, hey, my child is on the autism spectrum, I as the 
leader who loves these parent and this child would go, oh, well, now I understand. And so some of this behavior that I may not mm-hmm. nor and with another child, I may deal with differently. Yeah. I'm going to deal with this person who's at a disadvantage in a different way. And so I think when we talk about this and we use the, the example of like dyslexia, which is something you can't, I, as the person who doesn't have dyslexia, can't see. That's right. Right. I can't perceive that. I just have to trust when I talk, because once again, I, we have a child who we believe might have dyslexia, and I have to just trust that the way she is telling me she is perceiving reading is true. Mm-hmm. I can't just go and go, well, your your other three sisters sat down and they read it, and it was just fine for them. And so for me to put the same expectations and to not say to other people who are kind of at the church and at the school, I go, hey— we all want to. We all want to love one another. So my responsibility shifts from just saying Jesus only cares about my personal interactions and my personal feelings to there are things I need to do. And I think we all get it in that case. So when you bring it into the context of race and you say there are people, and I thought you did a great job on Sunday going through um, people of color, the disadvantage just gets brought in by being. The difference between when a when a white baby is born and and a person mm-hmm. of color is born, mm-hmm. then the disadvantages that are already stacked against that child, mm. for me to acknowledge those things and to say there may be systemic and systematic work that I have to do on top of my personal prejudice work. Well, I, mm-hmm. I thought even because I had a number of people talk to me, you know, Efren Smith brought in that if a uh, black or brown child is at third. In, third to fifth grade reading and math level, their chances of going to college are pretty high, but if they don't get to that level, their chances of going to prison are low. Or high of going to prison, low to go to college. The other side of that that he didn't talk about, because you know, it wasn't his job to talk about it, but the stats are true. We know that if a, 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 a white kid doesn't get to grade level, they're probably, they may not go to college. Their chances of going to, to, to uh, prison Increase, mm. but not at the same not rate. Nearly that much. Not at the same rate. And I, I wish people could just understand that, but that's the disadvantage part. That, that's true. Everybody needs to be at grade level. Everybody right. needs to be yeah. at grade level. But the disadvantage side is the consequences for black and brown uh, uh, kids are huge. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, they're, they're bad for everybody. Mm-hmm. Not trying to say that, but they're huge. And the only difference is the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that indicates something to us that people who want to see. I mean, Jesus used to walk around and say, let he that has the ears, let him hear. Yeah. And all he was saying is, there are going to be people that not get what I'm saying because they don't want to get it. Mm-hmm. That's, yes. what, that's, that's what that prophecy means. Mm-hmm. This is pretty clear if you want to get it. If you don't want to get it, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so I think I think that's an important hurdle we have to come when we talk about white privilege is this idea that um, I think most of us kind of feel, well, I personally, I don't feel those things. And I, I believe that. When people come to me, I'm not saying that they also don't have personal prejudice, but prejudice is a thing that's hard to see in the mirror until someone kind of points it out and goes, hey, maybe the reason you have that reaction Mm -hmm. is not just because you were suspicious for no reason or whatever it was. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's something about it. So I do believe when people come to me and say, well, I don't have personal prejudice, I believe they either can't see it or maybe they don't feel it. But And I thought this is where you got to Sunday. Jesus, when talking to his disciples about what it's like to have power and privilege, there's something in us when we 
are at a place of power and privilege that really wants to hold on to that and, and, and not just hold on to it, increase my own power and privilege. And the way that almost always has to happen is by, by as he said, lording it over other mm-hmm. people, that I can increase mine. And so we have a responsibility in that case. Now, another yeah. issue that I've noticed, and this goes to that idea we were just talking about there, is we often, as Western Christians and American Christians, really believe this idea of a meritocracy, which is everyone kind of gets what they deserve, that the best people get the job. Right, that if everyone's going out for the same job, like that's the way you've seen it before, right? Uh, that the person who is the best qualified applicant, they're the one getting the job. That's a meritocracy. If you've got the job, that means you earned it. Mm. But that really is not the same as, and a lot of us think, well, that's a biblical idea, that that's really the way God designed it to work. And it doesn't, that goes though a little different than there is a Christian idea of individual responsibility. I think you were talking about Paul earlier. Paul yeah. says, "Hey, bear uh, each, carry each other's burdens," and then he says, "But each one should carry their own load." And when he mm-hmm. talks about, it, he says, "Hey, there's some problems that are so big, we all have to work on those together." And I think mm-hmm. this can apply to racism as well, right? That there's burdens and. The word for burdens that's used is this word picture of like a boulder, something no one person could carry. And he mm-hmm. says, but each person should have individual responsibility over their load. And the word he used for mm-hmm. loads like a backpack. Like mm-hmm. everyone has personal things. Mm-hmm. Everyone should do that. And often that's where we get things mixed up, I think, when we're talking about this, is this idea of when I hear you say white privilege, what I hear you say is I didn't earn what I've got. Like I didn't have to work to get it. I don't have my thing. And I did work and I do work hard. But is there, an, is there a part of us understanding the white privilege problem that un, has to understand uh, the world doesn't really operate as a meritocracy, that just because someone doesn't mean that the person who is in a position of power didn't have to work, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were the ones, they didn't automatically, the best person didn't automatically get the best position. Is there a part mm-hmm. where we have to say, just because I'm in this position of power doesn't mean that necessarily God ordained it that I'm in here, but it may be that I have a responsibility once I'm, I have an individual responsibility to do something. So that's kind of the question I wanted to pose based on what we were just talking about there of mm-hmm. uh, white privilege in that sake. So I think we'd all admit the the position we all wind up in in life started out as just a gift. And it, sure. it was of nothing. You didn't choose it. You you just you got born where you got born, and you got in the family you got into. And some of us got really, really nice gifts. Oh, absolutely! Some, it, it was a gift for everybody. Sucking air on the planet yes. is a gift. Absolutely. But some of us got really, really nice gifts, and other people and to, got lesser gifts. And for somebody to look at me and you and say you got a really nice gift, there's something in me, and this. The, the part of this whole discussion that I have had to work through my own, in my own heart is just because somebody points out the gift that you got happened to be a really nice gift, it's not a personal attack on me. No. And, it, and it's, not a, uh, it's not a discounting of, like you said, the work that I have put in in my life or sure. the, the, the things that I have earned in my life because I have worked for a lot of things in sure, my life. Absolutely. That's right. And I have earned a lot of things in my life. However... I think I said this when we before we hit record. It, I think any smart person can has to ad- admit that people who work the equal amount in their lives don't always end up with the same results. And you mentioned this, Ed, when you came back from Haiti that time. You yeah, said I was the some same. of the hardest working people I ever met 
in that nation. And not just physical. Like way harder than us. They, they're, they're as smart as we are. Yes. yes. They use the same management strategies we do. Mm-hmm. They do. They have all the financial know-how we do. They do all the ways about get. they get along better in their community. They mm-hmm. make better use of everybody. Mm-hmm. They do so many things better than we do. Plus, they work really, really yes. hard. I mean, physically, too. But even even the people that we would look at and go, man, that's a college. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's got two college degrees. They don't wind up at the same no. place. They're never going to wind up at the same place. And what I know, and it's why I always say to people, hey, you want to change your view on some stuff? Get a passport and get mm-hmm. anywhere where you are the minority. Mm-hmm. Travel mm-hmm. to a country where where when people look at you, they go, dude, there's a white guy over there. <laughs> Everybody, I mean. Travel to some of those places, hang out for a while, watch them, get to know some of them. And your idea that, I mean, that it wasn't just, it it just was a gift of God that you got born. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got the golden ticket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't do anything for it. Well, and I remember you telling, and I just think it's a kind of funny anecdote. So I remember you talking about going to Haiti uh, one time. I think I was, I don't think this was a trip I was on, but I remember you telling the story of, uh, the time it kind of you kind of removed that idea of this person this idea of well you know everyone is, is doing the same is when uh you worked with an older lady who oh, there's was, this old lady that everybody would look at i don't know how she, she could have been 30 for all i know but yeah. she had been in the sun a lot she looked like she was about 80 <laughs> uh you know wiry ropey muscles in her arm and we're going to dig some holes to plant some trees and we had new shovels that we you know had purchased with our money in haiti and all she had was about a three-foot section of rebar one piece of rebar and so i'm trying to dig a hole with this shovel i know how to dig a hole i planted trees she digs the hole four times as fast as me and deeper than I did with a single piece of rebar, and she's wow. smiling and singing the whole time. <laughs> right. And, and it I just... was like, uh, yeah, I'm not over here to show her how it no, – no. No. I'm not here for that. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. And I think that idea, it really gets to when we want to talk about, well, then what is my individual responsibility? And Well, no, and I'll just – I want to say something else before you get too much – there's a part of it every time, and this hasn't always been true, because I, man, I was brought up by good, hardworking German folk uh, <laughs> who taught, you know, you get, you know, work hard, earn your way, all that stuff. Um, when people say meritocracy is an idea from God, I always like to say to them, show me that from mm. something, because, yeah. you know. He got a parable that's opposite of yeah, that. Yeah, completely. Sure, just telling you. He's got. I mean, the idea that God helps those that help themselves, that's not in there. That, that, I can make a point. That's directly contrast to everything yes. that is taught to me by Jesus. God helps people who admit I can't help myself yeah. and that everything I get in life is a gift from him. And the, the sooner I start accepting, I have some things. I did work hard, and God uses my effort. And, mm-hmm. yes, I should put effort in. Absolutely. And maybe things go better for me with effort. Mm-hmm. But there's a point where I put in effort, and then God just does stuff. Yeah. Yes. My whole life is just a gift. That I finally have gotten to that place. It took me a long time. Or he, he gave something to you. and We've said this before. Things come to you, but they're not for you. 
Yes. You know, they're for you to use for on behalf of someone else. It's, it's a it's that it's the parable of the talents. I, I gave to whom much given as much is required of you. I, every gift is a is a greater responsibility. Mhm. Yes. That's I think a great way to I think it. money is both a uh it's 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 mostly a test. Mm. Every every physical blessing we have is a test. Mm-hmm. Will you do what you were supposed to do with this? Some of it might be for you. Some of it might be for somebody. Will you at least bring it to me knowing it didn't come for you only? Your physical presence, your intellect, your money, your influence, it is not just intended for you. Mm. Yeah, and I think so when you get to the idea of what is the individual responsibility, it is to love everyone, right, to deal just – you talked about this, right, to do justice – Right to love mercy, and I think sometimes those are just words we go. I know I'm supposed to do that, but really to do justice, which is to work for the way that God intended the world to be. That I would—it's not just people get what they deserve, because that leads to this idea of meritocracy. Of sometimes, which is, well, if you worked hard, then you would have gotten it, and since you don't have it, that means justice is not giving to you. Justice means that 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 we are working to make sure that God's idea of fairness and equal and equity really that everyone gets the same chance at things that everyone's really treated with the love and justice of God loving mercy is mercy means compassion it means that I'm moved from within right then we said this before in sermons right that it's really from the gut that that feeling you have when you see your child in pain that feeling you have where it's like oh I can feel it in fact the term for mercy in Hebrew is womb like it's this idea that as mothers, it feels like, oh, that's a part of me that's suffering, that I should be moved when I see people suffering that way, and to walk humbly. And this is the part, I think, of the individual responsibility, which is, this isn't about me. Mm-mm. And so I do have a responsibility to people, and no matter where I am, and I loved, as you said it, which I know is a Jesus quote, but the idea of that responsibility actually grows as I yes. go up. Because I remember someone saying this, and this totally changed me, because I'd grown up, we had the 10-10-80 plan growing up, and some of you guys know what that is, and I'm teaching my girls that right now, right? First 10% of money you get goes to God, the next 10% you save for the future, get 80%. I've been living that way my whole life, and then I had a very godly woman in my life who was doing some, she was a minister leader over me, and she said to me, you know, the percentage doesn't always have to stay there, that maybe Mm -hmm. the percentage someone who makes $100,000 should be more than the person who makes $1,000, that maybe 10% could be a baseline for you, and that you actually are trying to grow that percentage. And the idea is, and what most of us want to say is, and I've actually talked to people specifically about giving in this way, where they go, well, it's all the same. We're all working on the same amount. But we all know that even though 10% of 100,000 is more than 10% of 1,000, so is the 80,000 on the other side. And maybe as somebody who's on that side goes, what do I need to – and I don't want to get into a money thing. But my point is in Mm -hmm. power and responsibility, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe since I can live comfortably on this amount, maybe my responsibility grows. And in the same with power and privilege – there's ways in which, as you said it, and so that's my individual responsibility, but that now, um, what's the term, dovetails into my corporate responsibility. That it is, I do have an individual responsibility in my personal dealings, but as my power and influence grows, that also then dovetails. That 
it is more on the person who has power in the relationship to say something. Like, once again, in my children, I shouldn't look at my children when something bad happens and they come to me and go, they have no power to change anything, and they go, <laughs> Dad, you have not seen this problem in you. I, as a parent, would go, man, I should have seen that problem because I'm the one who has power in this situation. To but make I've also happen. been in that position on the dad side, and it does take humility to hear something from yes. the, the weaker one. Because it feels like they're accusing you. Because mm-hmm. they, they are. Because they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because sure. they are. And not to bow up and get on. It, it takes humility to go, hey, you know what? You're right. I should have seen that. I should have mm-hmm. done that. Good for you for bringing that to my attention. Because in the end, I want to do what's right for our family. Mm. And uh, so, you know, I, I get where everybody gets stuck on this. I have had, I, I mean, there have been times in my life where I've had a hard time with the the idea of white privilege and it does take some degree of getting to the place where you you have to hear what people are really saying and i thought believe them yeah when y'all use the illustration of dyslexia um i've known some of the smartest people i've come to know as adults when i get to know them eventually tell me hey you know i have dyslexia and it's obvious they have worked 12 times harder in school than i had to work Mm -hmm. sure uh and I don't know that they had dyslexia. They could tell me that if they want to, and they could just be making up a story. Mm-hmm. But I'm thankful somebody at some point, for some of them, helped them understand what the thing was. And somebody said, oh, okay, because you can't prove it. No. You, 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 you just have to believe that they're seeing the world. What they're telling you they're perceiving is right. And that's where I have finally gotten on this thing in our world. There's enough stats. I'm a stat guy. Mm-hmm. The kind of thing we mentioned about education, prison. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time somebody told me uh, they predict the number of prisons by the reading level of students, and I went, in Dude, a, what? In an area. They in look at area. what the grade school is. Yeah, they, they can predict the amount of prison beds they need, but uh, I thought, mm. well, the the idea is let's don't spend money on prison, Brett. Let's teach people to read. Yeah, I mean, it, that ain't hard to get to. Instead of blaming the people, uh, it just – Eventually, you can look at numbers, and then you can hear what people who are in the situation tell me, and I just have to go, well, maybe I have dyslexia. Maybe I can't see what they can see. I'm just going to have to trust them. That's what is really there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to have to begin to work with them. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to try to t- because it's pretty clear. Jesus tells me when I have any position of power or position that my job is to serve people. My job is mm-hmm. to, in every situation, and everybody has some degree of power or position, Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. influence. And, yeah. This is true for black people, white people, yeah. people of all. Mm-hmm. We are all supposed to be looking, what does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me? Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, that's the heart of this whole series, I think. I yeah. think that's yeah. when we've been trying to get to on this. And to go back to where we started, not to just we, – we started off by saying we have gotten our politics in front of our faith. And uh, I don't think there's anywhere bigger than this because when everybody tells me, I mean, I haven't had anybody disagree with me and say, I'm not saying you're not out there. And if you want to tell me this, maybe we can talk, uh, that there isn't just one race. Everybody I've talked to, even people that think I've been off track, mm-hmm. have all agreed, yeah, God made from one blood all people. And so mm-hmm. we're just mm-hmm. one human race. Yep. And that's our faith side that's we're all one family we're the family of man we ought to be working for the good of all people but these things about racism 
there's this other thing that slides in front of it. It it creeps up in me, mm-hmm. and it pushes, and I begin to talk about, well, that particular group that has a title to it, Black Lives Matter, they're working against the good of people. Okay, all right. I, I don't think I said anything about that, so let's, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's slide that back down where it goes. The, the faith party is all people are God's people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. God has commanded me to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Mm-hmm. Every time this begins to creep up, that was the heart of the series. I'm trying to figure out which of these really matters to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and I think when you, I think when you get in that place, once again, let's, so let's get back to the part of do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. My response, and this is kind of the next question I want to get to, is like you said, so Black Lives Matter is one of those phrases. I think white privilege is a phrase like this. Racism is a phrase. There are these phrases that trigger us. In fact, we're going to do a series after the next series about being yeah, triggered. I'm just yeah. writing a message yeah. on that. How do you mm-hmm. deal with triggers? Being triggered. And, and one, of the, one of the ideas behind I wish we'd have done that one first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. But, uh, we're not, not that smart enough we're not to that get that smart. all lined up. <laughs> There are these phrases, and, and really just got to briefly to get into it, uh, there's a part of your brain, we're going to talk about this more, that when you hear certain things, uh, and when you experience certain things, it triggers in your brain your fight-or-flight response, right? We yep. now know there's also a freeze response, right? Fight-or-flight yeah. or freeze. And what that is, is that's your approach to danger. And mm-hmm. normally it's physical danger, but for people who have suffered with PTSD and things of that nature, what they know is what once was physical danger, danger suddenly becomes emotional, psychological, mental danger as well. Mm-hmm. And so your brain is responding to something that may not be physical danger, but just doing that. And you they feel like you're in danger, but you're not. Yes. Right. And there are studies that now have been done that says the same thing happens when we hear contradictory evidence w- with things regarding our, our religious beliefs, our political beliefs, or our family beliefs. These kind of deep-rooted, like what we would call identity beliefs, right? I'm a Republican. I'm a Christian. I'm a Martin, right? Those are who I am. So when you tell me something, and I thought you did a great job a couple weeks ago saying comparing sometimes the way we view white privilege and race issues – with the way people have had abuse in their family, right? That's a identity issue. When I hear it, I go, my family would never do that. So it triggers in my brain a fight or flight response, not necessarily to the person, to the idea. Yes. So when I hear white privilege, that's, and this is the part I think white people struggle with. My brain senses that somehow is danger. This mm-hmm. is a danger to you somehow. This will do something or black lives matter or some, you know, liberal idea or conservative idea it comes to me as an front and it doesn't matter how how much research is behind it and how much logic is behind it my brain just just triggers to this so my question yeah. is when we are in conversation with people and we're trying to do some of the stuff of engaging with people who aren't like us politically or racially or on any issue right and i hear some of these terms white privilege black lives matter uh, right, and it triggers something in me. What well, should a Christian's response be when that happens in me? Well, first, the reason you get triggered, and and just to be clear, so we all understand this, is because of something that is in you. Yes, that's 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 true of everything. So when Every I when I hear one of those phrases, I immediately define that phrase by what I think it means. Correct, and so then I react to that, and so I've said this to 
tons of people that I've talked to who are in conflict. I said, your number one most important question when someone triggers you or you get that fight or flight reaction is just stop for a minute and ask them what they mean. What do you mean by that? What, what, you know, help me understand what you're talking about. And when I've done that, many times not always but a lot of times you find out that oh my definition and their definition is completely different in fact we're closer than i thought we were right. sure yeah. yeah on a lot of things well and the other thing that that does because again i've just been reading this and preparing this message on triggers is i have this emotional reaction and there's part of my brain the amygdala mm-hmm. kicks in and that's mm-hmm. the part that for me is a fight reaction other people's flight or freeze the moment I ask any question, my amygdala can't answer questions. That's right. <laughs> it cannot answer questions. Yeah. So me asking a question then kicks back in the other part of my brain, right. the rational, relational part. Just mm-hmm. the asking of the question mm-hmm. kicks me back to that, and it calms that part back down. Mm-hmm. If I can ask, what do you mean? Or if I can't even engage with you, if I can go off for five or ten minutes and ask myself, what made me feel that? Because they were yes. threatening me. Yeah. What, what made me feel that? If I can begin to question myself, mm-hmm. now my brain begins to cool down. The, the mm-hmm. adrenaline goes down a little bit, and I can go back to rational, which brings me back to relational, which for the Christian is where I have to stay. Yep. I have to stay in the area of loving God and loving people. Yep. And I cannot do that in a fight, flee or freeze mode. And right. I would say that to every, and with all due respect, to every person who's been for these past two weeks, when you've had one of those emotions rise up in you because of something we said or something that you uh, perceived that we said, yes. the best thing for you, to, for you to do is to pull that out, look at it, and go, now, why did that cause a reaction in me? Because there's something that that's going on inside your brain that you need to at least investigate i'm not saying you're wrong but i'm it's it's an important skill to have to say that because here's nobody's trying to attack you right Mm -hmm. but it feels like that because it feels that way but to ask yourself why why did that stir up an emotion in me and if i cannot engage with a person like it's that whole thing in our social media culture where as soon as i see a phrase or i hear something from somebody that triggers that i'm done yeah, I'm, oh, I you know, and I can't be friends anymore. I know people Why are is that? decade-old friendships over phrases. Phrases, mm-hmm. over that's right. Phrases. Why? And that's the important question is you got to ask of yourself, why do I feel that way about, because what I've just done is I've violated Jesus' way of loving everyone always. So what is in me that is leading me down that path? Well, and I think when when you get to, and this was kind of central. See how good this would have been to do first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think when I began to understand some of this amygdala response and the fight or flight response, one of the key ones I thought was so important was the fact that it so is tied into our identity, right? That it's not every issue. That if I came to you about an issue and said, you know, this drink is better than that drink. I mean, some of you might just go, no, and yeah. flip Waterloo! the table. Right? <laughs> because it's not, a, it's not, not it, and it may be something you're passionate about. I mean, you may, sure. you, you may be very passionate about, and I've even seen this, there are passionate sports fans, but we all know there's a difference between a sports fan who sees themselves as 
I'm a, I'm a Hawks fan. That's core to me. And they have a different response. Someone just goes, to, I'm a- to the guy who burns down the city of Atlanta if the Hawks were ever to win yeah. 25 yeah, if games. anything was ever to, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that part. But you know what I mean is there's a difference in just being passionate about something. And when I see it as a part of my identity, and I think that goes back once again to this walk humbly with God. One of the most important phrases, it was a kind of key phrase to our church really early on. So I grew up with this phrase because I'm the same age as the church and I just grew up, which is it's not about you. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that's become a core identity in my own brain of when I hear something. I would even say this to people of faith as someone who I really love having conversations with skeptics and non-believers, and they often will approach questions. And I have conversations with other Christians about it, and you hear it, and you go, well, I'm a Christian, and they've just said, there's no archaeological evidence for this event in in, in the Bible, and it triggers this fight-or-flight yeah, thing. Yeah, you get and angry I, for some and reason. And I go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, that's who I am. And so when I get that, I have to remember, this isn't about me. That's right. It is about Jesus. And so if I believe Jesus has all truth, then even if this turns out to be true, that don't affect Jesus. No. And mm-hmm. I can get to that. And I think that's true for, once again, as we're talking primarily right now to white people, that when I hear white privilege or Black Lives Matter and it triggers something in me, and we have to be honest, it gets to danger for me. That's the part we don't want to admit. I've mm-hmm. not always want to admit is I feel frightened for me, and I have to get to a place where I go, maybe this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Maybe well, this person who's trying to tell me something or is, you know, especially if it's a person of color, just trying to tell their experience of something or to say, hey, this is what my family's experience is, and this is how I feel. For me to then take that and make it about me is not love. It is not humble, and humility is you can't have love without humility because love requires me to get my ego out of the way. And I'm saying this person has a huge ego. That's been the biggest problem for me is just choosing to say, this isn't about me. Even even when, and this is a marriage thing, Well, even when my wife comes to me and says, hey, this thing you've done has really hurt me, in the end, it's really not about me. She's telling me something I need to know. She's but expressing it is a, a feeling that she's She's, she's expressing her hurt or yeah. her pain. This is really about her in the mm-hmm. moment. And when I make it about me and I have to somehow massage my guilt or massage my pride and go, you're not a bad husband, everything. She's telling you you're a bad husband, which I'll yep. just say that. I'm not saying that your wife's never said that. My wife never has come to me and said, and because of this, you're a bad husband. Mm-hmm. She's coming to say, this has hurt me. And so in the same way as someone It's who, really an invitation to relationship. It is. She's it doing is. It is. It's bringing you in saying, come, come closer to me. And I have only ever seen, and I know you've told me this is your experience with the conversations you've had with people of color in our church. Anytime a person of color has been brave enough to tell mm-hmm. me and just gracious enough to tell me, hey, this is really hurting and this is really struggling. And rarely have they ever come and said, and it's something you did. They're just telling me something that an experience they've had with a white person or just in culture in general, as you said, it's an invitation. It is. They're saying, I trust you. I for, want yeah. you to know for this. For a black person a black person to look at me and say black lives matter, that is not a, an affront to my life or anybody Correct. else's. It's them saying, do you affirm that? Right. When, will you stand with me and affirm that that statement is true? And right. for me to say anything other than that is, is, just, is the height of insensitivity, mm-hmm. I yeah. think. Oh yeah, you know I, it's I it's agree. again it's an invitation. Will you stand over here? With, I had a friend of mine, a black friend of mine on on Facebook that I grew up with, and he put out a a, a post this past week, and he just out just put it out in there to all of us and said, if something ever happened to me, if I ever got on the wrong end of one of these 
situations that we see in our culture. He said, would y'all stand up for me? Mm. Mm. And for me to then come back to his post and go, well, see, you need to understand that that's not, and talk about police and sure. all that. That is the most inappropriate response. The, the response, I think the Jesus response is to say, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm I, here with you. I, I'm sorry that you had to even ask that question, but here I am, and, and I'm and I'm on your side. Yep. That's the response. Yep. That, and some of the, you know, I did have lots of conversations, and some of the things people told me could have felt personal to me because mm-hmm. they would tell me things that had happened in our church. Yeah. Sure. And they didn't mean them. They were just telling me the truth. And they they made all the excuses they could. <laughs> they re, they Again, trying to protect my feelings. My natural thing would have been years ago, particularly yeah. to go, well, let me let me yeah. tell you why that probably yeah, happened. That's right. Try to make excuses again. Thankfully, this time I was just able to go, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, you know, that's that's right. not right. We don't want to be that. No. Well, and I think there's a thing you said there that um, I, I have read multiple times in books and articles and, and seen and stuff that I think is so important for for us once again as – the white Christians to be aware of is this thing you said of, of, of people of color trying to protect me and to protect my feelings. And I want to get to a place mm. where when someone is hurting, they don't feel like they need to protect me yeah. that, that I can step in and say, and not because I'm going to protect you because I'm so much stronger than you and I can do this, but when anyone's hurt, it's my job to, when my wife is hurting, I don't think I'm stronger than my wife. Most often the opposite is true. But if she's hurting, I come in and go, hey, I want to be here to comfort you. But for her to feel like, well, I don't want to tell him everything. And I have to acknowledge if that's where she's at, that's some that's some lack on my part. Doesn't necessarily mean that I have actively gone out and done yep. something, but I I may not have built the trust yep. that I needed to build. And so I just as a challenge to other white Christians out there, can we just at least be aware? Let's become a place when we say love everyone always, especially when we say things at the heart of what no perfect people allowed really gets to is this idea of we're all really, we're all in the same place and everyone can be vulnerable and everyone can tell the absolute truth, no masks. And we as white, and so I would say this, if we were in a church setting, which is, in my opinion, has never been true at Community Christian, where someone would walk in and be able to look around and go, oh, this is a place I can't tell my sin. Hmm. It would be our job as those of us who feel we are the, established people of community Christian church to then say, Hey, we got to start being more vulnerable. And yeah. We got to, we got to make yeah. a place where they, people can tell the truth when they come in. And so I want to just challenge us as white Christians, as white community Christian people to say, may this also be a place where people of color can say, I can just tell the truth and mm-hmm. they're going to love me and they won't become overly defensive. Mm-hmm. I don't have to protect them because they want to protect me when I need it. Yeah. They want to be on my side. May that just be true of us uh, in every situation. And that really gets to kind of the last question. I know we're, we're, we're a little over yeah. on time, but the last question here is, what is one step we can all take? You know, you, you brought up on Sunday, um, if, if you haven't seen it, you can go back and watch it, this uh, clip from Ephraim Smith, who's a pastor out in California, and he talked about this kind of school, maybe mentorship kind of idea, but we agreed, okay, well, right now, currently, like tomorrow, you can't go out and make that happen. What is one step that we can say, hey, I am taking this here? Maybe you heard this, and you go, I do, I, I, I love mercy, right? I, I'm moved in compassion. I want to do justice. What is one thing I could do right when this video is over? What is something I could do 
And one thing, I, so I want to throw this out as everyone else, because I kind of toss this on these guys. One thing I think is huge is find some way that you can begin to understand the problem better um, from another point of view. And whether that's, so if you don't read books, read books is one of the best I have. There are tons of wonderful authors out there that are that are writing books about this. If you want to, to email us and get some ideas, we would love to tell you some books that we've read um, to, to help us understand. But to begin to understand the problem from another side, there, as Ed mentioned, there's the documentaries. I would also just throw this out. Watch TV shows and listen to music and just begin to immerse yourself in necessarily a culture that isn't necessarily your culture to begin to understand and to begin to to see things just from a different point of view. Anytime you can say, and you said this on Sunday about moving towards the other, yeah. you know, right now it's it's a little different. And maybe you're in a position you can't just go join a gym and go go move to someone else. But you could move that in very small ways in in the media you can Well, I was about to use Jim as an example. My wife has recently joined a, a gym, I guess they would call it. I don't, I don't do those things. I don't really know. <laughs> uh, but she goes and – she noticed right on because, you know, we're, she knew I was preparing for this. We, she's been caught up in a lot of the study I've been doing as well. She noticed all the black people stood on one side, all the white people stood on the other side. And about the third day, she just said, I'm going to have to be the one to walk over there. That's right. That's, what mm-hmm. I, that's one thing you could do in every environment. Mm-hmm. That should be true no matter what. That sure. should yes. just be true no matter what. The, the, the other thing, and I don't mean to downplay this, it was the first thing I brought up and – I uh, know somebody, you know, it typically is the Christian cop-out. We we have to pray. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I just, I, I think we're all walking around in our own best thoughts and our own power and our own strength. And we should be partnering with God and say, God, I need your thoughts. I need your wisdom. Can you help me see this the way that you and Jesus see it? Can you help me not? Because the truth is, and I say this all the time. I say it on this podcast. I say it in messages. It's a deep part of who I am now. We live in an unshakable kingdom. It's, the kingdom of God's not in danger, no matter what happens on this. Riots aren't in danger to the kingdom of God. Who gets voted in is not. The pandemic, none of these things that our world is so upset about are. But if we don't pray for that power to be true in our life so that we can live in it, you're going to live as if everything's a threat because there are a lot of things that people tell you are threatening to you, mm-hmm. and they aren't. There, yeah. is, there is no no weapon formed against you can stand. It mm-hmm. can't. Yeah. But you have, to, you, have to, you, have to, you have to be in constant contact with God to live that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I get off track on that too. Yeah. We all have to just stay on the path of I'm in constant conversation with God. I need your mind. I need your will. I need... See what you see and do what you do. Yeah, I was. I was just gonna say, along the lines of what you mentioned, you said it, but I'll say it a different way. Just don't be afraid. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 specifically, something I had to overcome is just don't be afraid of the topic, um, because every person of color that I have broached this topic with as a white guy, yeah. um, it's it has not shocked them. And it has not intimidated them, mm-hmm. and it has and it has not done anything negative between us and set it back. It has only done good things because it, it's almost to the point. Where it's like finally, finally, we're talking about it. And and there was a little bit of hesitation in me. If it's that thing, I think we mentioned this last week in the podcast. If you don't say anything, it it won't be a problem. 
Right. But it's already a problem. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and talk about it. I feel like it, about it like I, when I'm in discipleship with people, sometimes there's part of it where we'll say, hey, if you don't know your neighbors, get to know your neighbors. And I've, I've had guys say, and I've been there too, mm-hmm. well, I've lived in this place for 10 years, and I don't really oh, know yeah. none of my neighbors' yeah. names, and it's going to be really super weird now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because you should have done it a long time ago. Mm-hmm. All you can do is go over and say, hey, I should have done this a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. That, that's that's the way I started these conversations. It's a shame it took this point for me to do this. I should have been talking to you. You're part of our congregation. Mm-hmm. I should have asked these questions before. Absolutely. And I didn't. That's on me. Can we have the conversation? Yeah. Well, and I think on the I think on the prayer part, one thing that's so important with that too is how prayer forms us. Um, you know, God God already cares about the issues of of racial justice. Like we're not we're not bringing this up to God, and mm-hmm. God's going to go, huh? Like he what? already he already solved the issue. Yes. yes, we have decided not to use his solve. There right, and so I think <laughs> in the ways that we pray, it shapes who we are. I know many of you have experienced that over these guided meditations we've done. We've heard people say that before of just how helpful these guided meditations uh, we've been posting on Facebook have been, and the way they help you. And so uh, I almost hesitate to bring this this up just because I'm afraid people are going to go and want to argue. But uh, I've been following an Instagram page called Black Liturgies is the name of the Instagram page. And every day there's a young lady who writes these prayers out um, that often are coming either from the Psalms or from other places. And she writes out word for word prayers you can pray. And uh, they've been helpful to me to once again pray from a different perspective. I am often just praying for my concern and my understanding of the problem and being able to understand it. Now, once again, as we talk about triggering, there's very possible if you go there, you're going to read something, it's going to trigger. And so if if you're going to feel the need to argue with this young lady uh, on Instagram, oh, I would please. just encourage you don't go there. But I do think there's a benefit in the prayers to go, maybe even in my praying, God can lead me to better understand this problem and God's going to reveal stuff in the way. So I would encourage you... Um, to, to maybe if that's if that's a way you like to pray, I like to use a lot of written prayers, and so that's been a helpful thing to me um, as well. But I totally agree on the on the prayer side of things that mm-hmm. um, we are not uh, fighting against flesh and blood. Yeah, and if you need help on that, on our YouTube page, there's a whole playlist of the 30 days of meditation. Oh yeah, yeah. you could just start back over yeah. and use that playlist and pray through them again. Couldn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's us. We're done. See y'all next week. Bye-bye.